Lord, we thank you for your word. We're excited to hear it today. We just pray that you would anoint Roy with your power, with your wisdom, Lord, with your boldness. And we just pray that you would um, prepare our hearts to receive your word and to take action and be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Debs. Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to continue with our preaching series, Step Out, based on how God called Gideon with all his fears, insecurities, and doubts to step out in faith and be used in God's purposes. And as we've seen in previous weeks, God often calls those who are insignificant in the world's eyes, and indeed, often in their own eyes too. And I would count myself among those people. But he sees our potential and promises to be with us, encouraging us to step out courageously in faith to do great things for him in the strength which we have through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And I believe young people, God would say to you this morning, you're never too young to be called and used by God. Just listen for his voice. We sang the song this morning, he calls us by name. I'm glad I can remember the time when he called me by name. And I believe the Holy Spirit this morning will be whispering to different people, calling you by name to uh, just to fresh uh, commitment to him. Well, thus far, much of what we've drawn from the life of Gideon has been, had a personal application for each of us as individuals uh, who have all been called to make a difference in our day. Today, however, although there'll be much for individual application for us to consider, the message will have more of a focus for us collectively as Redeemer Church, as I've been asked to speak on Step Out Together. Turn to someone next to you and say, Step Out Together. But friends, it's not just step out together, but it's step out together with God. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? For I believe the Lord is calling us at this time to step out from everything that would potentially hinder us from fulfilling his call on us as a church as well as individually. And I believe the Holy Spirit is urging us, step out together with God to see what he will do through us with the promise of Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within us. If we will step out together with him, then God is able to do great things through us, incredibly, for his glory. And so we're going to read from Judges chapter 7 this morning to see how God used Gideon and his outnumbered army of just 300 to defeat the enemy which was against them. And whilst you're finding that, as Hugh briefly outlined as part of his preach last Sunday, chapter 7 begins with the scene of an impending battle with Gideon's volunteer army of 32,000 fighting men strategically camped by a water supply, the spring of Harod, in the hills above the valley of Jezreel, where the joint force with the joint forces 
of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples, uh, they were camped in the valley below, in the valley of Jezreel. God's people were poised for battle under Gideon's leadership. They were poised to take action when God spoke to him. We need to be in that position. We're poised for action, but still open to the fact that God, as it were, at the 11th hour might just speak to us in a significant way. And God told him that he had too many fighting men for God to deliver their enemy into their hands. And so God instructed Gideon to release everyone who was fearful of what lay ahead. So that with the reduced size of the army, there would be no possibility of them boasting that they'd obtain victory by their own might. And a couple of dozen left. No, 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 no. 22,000 men left, leaving an army of just 10,000. The Lord, however, as many of you will know, told Gideon that he still had too many men. That he was to take them to the water for a drink where God would test them. The NIV version actually says God would sift them. But from the Hebrew text, the New King James Version is more accurate when it says God would test them. In fact, the Hebrew word translated there is used elsewhere to speak of to refine people. And in God's refining process of his people, he uses various situations to test and to refine us. And the majority of Gideon's reduced army of 10,000, seemingly without any thought of a possible attack from the enemy, knelt down and drank whilst just 300 remained standing and alert and drank by using their hands like a cup to contain the water, which they put to their mouths and drank much like how a dog laps from a bowl of water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the enemy into your hands. And so 9,700 men were sent to their tents and the 300 remained with Gideon. Have I got the math right, Al? Yes. That's, that's okay. That's just checking with a, a teacher from this school. And so now we have this picture of just 300 fighting men and it would seem from verse 9 that that night Gideon was finding it hard to sleep. Maybe some of you have had nights when you've been unable to sleep as you've pondered on what the Lord has asked you to do. I have. And Judges 7 seems to suggest that Gideon wasn't just a little apprehensive, but he was still somewhat fearful of what lay ahead. For in verse 10 of Judges 7, the Lord spoke to Gideon and told him, if he was afraid to attack, then he should go down to the enemy's camp in the valley and listen to what they were saying, which would be an encouragement to him to attack. In other words, it would encourage him to do what the Lord had called him to do. And maybe today, just maybe, there's one or two here who are hesitating to do what you believe the Lord is calling you to do. And I want to encourage you to step out in faith and do what the Lord is prompting you to do. The Lord, who is patient, aren't you glad about that? And a great encourager said to Gideon, 
Verse 10 of 7. If you are afraid to attack, then go down to the enemy's camp with your servant. And sure enough, along with his servant, Gideon goes down to the outposts of the enemy's vast camp, which verse 12 tells us was like a swarm of locusts with their camels as numerous as the sand on the seashore. In other words, they were outnumbered. Gideon was still inclined to be fearful and still not confidently seeing himself as the mighty warrior that God saw him as. And in my experience, as for Gideon, God doesn't always deliver us from all of our fears the instance he calls us. We each have to renew our mind to spend time meditating on what God says about us in the Bible, to see us as in Christ as Al was exhorting us a couple of Sundays ago. And Judges 7 verse 13 tells us how Gideon arrived at the enemy's camp just as a man was telling a friend of a dream he'd had of a round loaf of barley bread which had come tumbling down into the camp and which had struck the tent with such force that the tent had collapsed. Now, you need to understand, barley was considered an inferior grain. It was worth only half as much as wheat. And so the friend who interpreted the dream immediately said, this could be no other than the sword of Gideon. In other words, the inferior one. God has given the whole camp into Gideon's hands. And when Gideon heard this, verse 15 tells us that his response was to worship God. Now, it's most unlikely, it seems to me, that he began to worship in song, for that would have blown his cover. And as reflected in some translations, commentators say that in the original text, it means he knelt down in worship. You see, at the heart of the meaning of the word translated as worship is to make yourself lower than the one who, that you worship. And thus kneeling is a posture of worship. I wonder, at such a time as for Gideon, what would your response have been? One of relief, might have been mine, or one of grateful worship to the Lord. Gideon didn't wait until the battle was over before he worshipped the Lord, but he postured himself in worship in response to what God has promised. Hallelujah. There's some promises that God has made into many lives here. Posture yourself in worship. Keep on worshipping and trusting him to bring it about. It's through faith and patience that the promises of God are inherited. And so let's read from this point in the narrative from verse 15 of Judges 7 through to verse 22. I'm reading from the NIV and it's the uh, but Lord version, not the pardon me version. <laughs> Sorry, that's wasted for some of you. <laughs> verse 15, Judges 7. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped, literally bowed down and worshipped God. And he returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Notice that, he didn't say our, he said your hands. Because they were going to have to do it with him. <laughs> Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Who did he use? Yeah? Who do you think God wants to use in our day? You're right, you. 
He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And dividing the 300 men into three companies. I chuckled this morning because I noticed we sit in three companies and we've got an elder in each company this morning. That may be significant, I don't know. Because elder doesn't always sit there. But he divided the army up into three companies. And he placed trumpets and empty jars of clay, Amadeus. You were spot on in the prayer meeting. He put in their hands empty jars of clay in their hands with torches inside. And he said, watch me. He told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And whilst each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bathsheba, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel-Meloah, near Tabath, or somewhere like that. Okay, you got the picture. They were not trumpets as you visualize. The only two silver trumpets were at the time of Moses. It was this kind of picture. They had their torch in their hand. They had their shofars in their hand. And, no, and some people have dared me to see if I can get a note out of this. I got a perfect note in the prayer meeting. Dorothy said I wouldn't hear. She's put a curse on me. No, not... I'm a euphonium player. This is a very small mouthpiece, as Jordan would understand. But anyway, we might get a sound out of it later. Any volunteers? I mean, can you imagine if I made a mess of that, all 300 of them managed to get a good note out of it. And I'll tell you, it was a racket, if I can put it like that, because a shofar isn't exactly the most tuneful of instruments. But let's get back to the script. It's much safer. Okay, Holy Spirit. Phew. And so, more importantly than me getting the note, is what can we learn from this to help us in our day be people who step out together with God to see him do great things through us. Amen? And firstly, I want you to notice from verse 21 that whilst each man held his position, God was able to do what seemed to be an impossibility. And as I've already reminded us, God has promised to his church that he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine through us. Every single one of Gideon's 300 men each had an important part to play. They each had an assigned position to fill. Each had a specific place where they would take to take their stand. And friends, in a similar way, but different, 
Each of us has an important part to play in God's purposes, no matter how young or how old you are. We're all different, aren't we? We're all unique. Each fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist tells us. Each with different personalities and gifts and different roles assigned to us. I wonder, what role, what position has God assigned to you to play in his purpose at this time? And importantly, can you be dependent on to play your part? Paul advises Timothy as a church leader to trust responsibilities to faithful, to dependable people, to Timothy 2.2. It's important that we are dependable people, each faithfully playing our part because the scripture tells us the church grows and is strengthened when each of us plays our part. Now, whilst there is a richness in the variety of our personalities and giftings, there is a strength in our togetherness. Psalm 133 will be familiar to many of you. It tells us that unity among God's, God's people commands God's blessing, including evidence of the Lord's presence, like the anointing oil running down Aaron, the high priest's beard, onto his robe, and like the profuseness of dew which Mount Hermon is known for, which clearly, surely speaks of the fruitfulness that we can expect from the Lord's tangible presence amongst us, attracted by our unity, by our togetherness. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 44, Luke speaks of the togetherness of the believers of the early church and how the resulting blessing was daily salvations, verse 47, and the power of God at work with many powerful signs, including amazing miracles. Like Al, I too am not content to just read about how God was at work in such powerful ways in New Testament times, nor during times of revivals. But how about you? How hungry are you, friends, for a powerful visitation of God to change the city of Colchester, even to change our nation? You see, God responds to hunger. Think how blind Bartimaeus put his hunger on display. Think how Hannah in the Old Testament put her hunger and desperation on display. For us as a church to experience such measure of blessing that was seen in the early chapters of the book of Acts and in subsequent true revivals, then it is important that we each seek to do all we can to maintain unity. Among us. In Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul urges us make every effort. Sometimes it, it does take effort, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes effort to get along with people, doesn't it? I remember years ago, I went out preaching to a nearby town and, and uh, got into ministering, praying for the sick afterwards. And uh, the next day, the phone went. The first people to track me down in, in the phone directory. You had phone directories in those days. And my precious wife answered the phone. And I heard her say, oh, really? Yeah, that's nice. Thank you. you know. And she came off the phone. And she said, well, that lady said you, you were just like Jesus to her last night, but she doesn't have to live with you. 
You see, we can be different when the anointing's on us. Sometimes we have to make every effort to keep the unity, even in our homes, friends. Come on, let's be real. You, you won't better use that story now, Dorothy. I've stolen it from her. I knew what she meant. You see, I think it was, I think it was a slip of the tongue, but if you heard what Hugh shared earlier, he talked about uh, something like frail vessels, and Roy's going to preach in a moment, <laughs> and he's spot on. Because <laughs> I am... Just like Gideon, I'll be honest with you. That's how I saw myself when I was younger. Just like Gideon. But God, but God called me and used me incredibly. I'm useless at foreign languages. God's used us around the world just absolutely incredibly. Remember the first time we, st- we were in the slum area in Blantyre, where's Beatrice, in Malawi, and we looked at each other. <laughs> we looked at each other and we just looked at what are we doing here? How do we come to be here? Ministering to these precious people. Oh, I've lost the plot. <laughs> oh dear. Ephesians 4. Main t- Paul urges, make every effort. Make every effort, friends. I want to urge you to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And, and Paul gives us some clues how to do that by, by being humble. I'm not always humble. By being humble, gentle with one another and patient and forbearing with one another. Like Dorothy's had to forbear with me sometimes for the past 55 years. And in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, we're also urged, aren't we, to be kind and compassionate to one another and to forgive each other just as in Christ God has forgiven us. How has he forgiven us? Completely and forever. Like him, we're not to bring things up against one another, but truly forgive. Practically, friends, this means when there are misunderstandings, and there are always misunderstandings in church life, in life, because the perfect hasn't come yet. When there are misunderstandings, we're each to be quick to forgive and to seek to be reconciled following the scriptural pattern of Matthew 18 which Steph Liston taught on so well when he last visited us. Much more could be said on these matters, but for the remainder of my time, I wish to concentrate on some of the specific ways in which Gideon's army of 300 were in unity together. Because I believe that we will discover that in a similar way, it's important for us to be together in these very practical things. And I've identified from the actions of Gideon's army of 300, eight aspects of togetherness which are important for us. And my first observation is that Gideon's army were together in purpose. They were together in purpose. All 300 men clearly shared and were committed to the common purpose of saving people from the enemy. And in a similar way, it's important that each of us in Redeemer share this same purpose to see people in our day of all ages saved from the enemy's destructive work in people's lives. Our overriding purpose, friends, in Redeemer is to see people saved from the enemy and it's so important that we're together, therefore, behind Redeemer's vision. Secondly, they were together in confidence. 
With an army reduced to just 300 men, their confidence must have been in God's ability and not in their own. The doubters and the fearful were no longer part of their number. Together, their faith was in God's ability alone. And like Gideon's army, our faith needs to be firmly in the Lord and in his ability and not in our abilities. It's not by our might or our clever ideas, but by God's spirit that people are saved and that there's a lasting change in people's lives to the extent of affecting whole communities as experienced in true revivals. It's important that together our confidence is in God alone. As the old hymn on with Christian soldiers rightly says, the arm of flesh will fail us. We dare not trust in our own ability. Thirdly, Gideon's army were not just confident in God's ability, but I believe that with so few of them, compared to the vast size of the enemy's army, they must have been totally dependent on the Lord to do what they couldn't do in their own strength. And last Sunday, Hugh similarly pointed out from Gideon's example how it is for each of us to be dependent on the Lord. My preach was already prepared, okay? We were on the same track. I believe it's important also that together we are dependent on the Lord. The words of an old song come to my, to my mind. Al might know it. We rely not on our numbers. In his strength alone we stand. We have to be totally dependent on the Lord to do the things which only he can do. And so it's vital, friends, that we are together in the matter of corporate prayer. Because it's at such times that together, in humility, we express our total dependence on our God, who is able to do far more than we all ask of him. And just, be, just when, you, when you get to the prayer meeting next Sunday evening, because I hope you will, you find the preacher who's exhorted you to be at prayer meetings is not there. We will be ministering in Ireland, just to explain that next weekend. I don't want to give you room to be tempted to think badly of me. Fourthly, as Hugh said last Sunday, trumpets were blown in Old Testament times for different purposes, including to summon God's help. For me, therefore, the trumpet blowing by Gideon's army points to them not only calling on the Lord for his victory, but I believe it was like a kind of an outbreak of praise of their God, and indeed our God, which caused the enemy to flee. It wasn't just, as some suggest, that the enemy was taken by surprise in the middle of the night by the noise and the light from the three, that 300 torches frightened them and caused them to panic. Hey, verse 22 clearly states that when the 300 trumpets sounded, much more effectively than my attempt this morning, the Lord caused the enemy camp to turn on each other with their swords. You see, there's power in the praise of our God. He responds supernaturally, sometimes using his angelic army and sometimes in other ways. Psalm 149, verse 6, New King James Version says, let the high praises of God be in the mouths of God's people to execute vengeance on the nations. Now that psalm is literally speaking of enemies as 
encountered by Gideon's army. For us, however, the battle is not with people. But as Paul explains in Ephesians 6.12, we went into it in our Ephesians series, didn't we? It is with invisible evil powers which can be countered not just with prayer, but also with the high praise of our God. For as Psalm 22 reveals, God is enthroned in the midst of praising people. He is everywhere present. He's omnipresent, but there's a distinct manifestation of his presence and his rule which enters the atmosphere of praising people. And just put it this way, the enemy is far from happy to be in such an atmosphere. I reckon he was pretty unhappy this morning. Hello? No one in agreement? Oh, someone is. And I'll be honest with you, and, and I don't see this in any critical way, I include myself in it. I'm not sure that we've fully understood or yet experienced the power of togetherness in our times of corporate praise and worship. Such times when our praise of the Lord results in such a tangible manifestation of his presence and power that the works of the enemy, such as depression and disease, have to leave people who are suffering at the hand of the enemy. In fact, I've pondered on this story of Gideon, and I wonder if the outcome might have been different if a significant number of Gideon's end army had decided they just felt tired that night and they didn't feel like praising or blowing their horns. Friends, I say that. Let's be a company of people who together all enter fully into our times of praise and worship. When Gideon's 300 men blew their trumpets, most likely, as I've explained, ram's horns, and they shouted. We sang this morning, let our shout be an anthem. It's time a few more people were shouting the praises of God. Yeah. When they shouted their battle cry, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, their enemies were thrown into confusion and caused by God to turn on each other and flee from the presence of God's praising people. Now, personally, I believe that their declaration of sword for the Lord and for Gideon was firstly their recognition that the battle was ultimately the Lord's. But on that occasion, God was using Gideon as his chosen leader. And they were saying, we're fully behind you, Gideon. To be honest, yeah, shall I? I hope I won't have to apologise next week. I, I, get, I get troubled sometimes when I hear people say of every single situation they face, well, the battle is the Lord's. You see, because it's not a complete truth. Even though some of the songs we sing suggest it is. Most often, we have to do what we can do, including battling in prayer, counting on the Lord to do what only He could do. And if you look through Scripture, the Lord uses different strategies on different occasions. When God's people conquered Jericho, you'll be familiar with that, he, the Lord caused the city walls to collapse. When they conquered the city of Ai, the strategy was completely different. And it was on one specific occasion, at the time of King Jehoshaphat, when God's people were told through a prophetic word, a specific prophetic word, 2 Chronicles 20, they wouldn't have to fight that battle, for the battle was not theirs, but God's. But even... Study it out, friends. On that occasion, God's people were told to take up their position and to stand firm for them to see the deliverance of their Lord. In a similar way, verse 21 of Judges 7 that we've looked at, it's very clear. 
it was whilst each man in Gideon's army held his position around the enemy's camp that the enemy fled. As God's people, we are to do what he instructs us to do through the scriptures, such as the priority of prayer and praise. And we're also to be obedient to his specific leadings, both individually and collectively as Redeemer Church. Gideon's army stood firm in faith and together they blew their trumpets in praise of the one who they were depending on to give them victory. <clears throat> Look, if, how can I put it? Because I've been a church pastor, so I know some of the things that get said. I, I, I just want to put it this way. There's no place for disunity over things like how many times we repeat a song on a Sunday morning, okay? Let's be people who together are seeking to be led by God's Spirit in our times of praise and worship with the dual understanding that we praise God because he's worthy, but also the praise of our God is a powerful weapon. I mean, just think about it. Gideon's army had no swords, wait for it, except the sword of the Spirit that was coming out of their mouths. Yeah? You see, how do I put this? My Bible is like a big sack of seed. It has to be planted in your heart and come out of your mouth like a two-edged sword to be powerful. You, you get the picture? Jesus, when he comes, he's, he's cut, the sword is coming out of his mouth. That's the picture we have in Revelation. When he was tempted, it was, it is written. He overcame the enemy. They had no swords. They had a torch hidden in a clay pot and a ram's horn. But out of their mouth they said, it's the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And with that, God went into action. Let's move on. Together, Gideon's army each held their position. They blew their trumpets as a note of praise to the Lord and they smashed the jars of clay in which their lighted torches were hidden and they declared it was the sword of the Lord which they were dependent on. And so, friends, what might the hidden torches point to which is pertinent for us in our day? I believe the torches point to how together we are to be like bright lights as witnesses for the Lord in our dark world world. It was at the beginning of the middle watch of the night, which was a, from 10 o'clock till 2 o'clock, that Gideon's army moved into their positions and they broke their clay jars to reveal their flaming torches. It wasn't just a God-inspired strategy, but it was also strategic in the timing. And we need to pray, friends, for here and the eldership team to know God's strategies and his strategic timings as we step out with regards to Colchester North and all future initiatives. Significantly, verse 16, you could check it out in every translation of Judges 7, says that the jars, which in some translations are referred to as pitchers, the jars, the pitchers were empty. Now, we need to understand clay pitchers, as the old versions say, were what they carried their provisions in, including water 
as in Mark 14, 13, when Jesus sent two of his disciples to prepare the room for the Last Supper, they were told to look for a man carrying a pitcher of water. And I believe that the word in the Hebrew text telling us that these pitchers, these jars of clay were empty, was included by the Holy Spirit deliberately, because I believe all Scripture, every word is God-breathed. And it suggests to me that their provisions had been emptied out so that their fiery torches could be put in. They had discarded their provisions and they were now totally dependent on the Lord. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us that for us as Christian believers, God, who at creation said, let light shine in the darkness, Paul says he has caused his light to shine in our hearts, that his treasure is contained in jars of clay, referring to the fact that Adam was made from the clay of the earth and when we die, our bodies go back to dust. We are thus, friends, but jars of clay. But as believers, we have the light of the gospel within us. We have the fire of the Holy Spirit in this jar of clay. But friends, to be truly filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to empty ourselves of our reliance on other things. We have to be like the empty jars of Gideon's army to contain the fire of God within. And furthermore, just as Gideon's army had to break had to break their jars for the light to be seen, for it to blaze all the more brightly, we need to be willing to be broken vessels, to be used fully by the Lord. You see, God especially uses people with a broken and contrite heart. Just as Gideon's army carried fire inside jars of clay into the enemy camp, so we, as jars of clay, are to be the carriers of the fire of God into the enemy's camp in our dark world. Although Jesus is the light of the world, he taught that his followers are to be the light of the world, that we are to let our light shine in our dark world. I I just speculate again. Just imagine if only a few of Gideon's army had smashed their clay pots and the rest had kept their light hidden. The impact would not have been as great, but together they all let their light shine. In a similar way, we are to let our light shine. The song says, everyone needs a saviour. Shine, let your light shine, let the whole world see. Sixthly, the men of Gideon's army were together in their vigilance against the enemy. The 300 men whom God had used to conquer the enemy were those who had shown themselves to be vigilant. They were the ones who had drunk in a standing posture, lapping from their hands, staying alert to any possible attack of the enemy at any time. And at the time of an, indip- in, I remind, a time of an impending battle with God's arch enemy, enemy Satan, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane urged his disciples to do what? To be watchful and pray. And we too need to be watchful, friends, to be vigilant and aware of the schemes of the devil and his demonic army which are targeted against us. Remember, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he might be able to devour. 
be on your guard and give him no opportunity into your life through an open door such as holding on to unforgiveness. We each need to be vigilant against the attacks of the evil one and to live lives clothed with the spiritual armour so that we can stand against the enemy. We live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a battle zone. And as God's people, we are a target. Together, we need to be vigilant and pray for one another, especially at times when individuals come under specific personal attack. And not only were Gideon's fighting men vigilant, but individually and together they stood their ground. As we observed earlier, whilst each man held his assigned position, God was able to do what seemed to be an impossibility. We live at a time when God, his word and his people are under attack in so many ways. It's important, therefore, that as Peter urges us in 1 Peter 5 verse 9, that we stand in the faith and also against the enemy. Let's seek to be people who, in the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, said that we are on our guard, who stand firm in the faith, and who are people of courage. When in Ephesians 6, Paul speaks of the spiritual battle which the evil powers wage against us, He urges us, does he not, again and again, verse 11, verse 13, verse 14, to stand our ground against the attacks of the enemy. We each individually, with the Lord's help, have to stand firm. And when we do, then in a very real way, we benefit from the strength of standing together. It's so important that we together, we are vigilant, and together we stand against the enemy's scheme, that together we are contending for the Christian faith, which, as Jude reminds us, has been entrusted to us and passed down the generations. To stand together in these matters is so important, so that together we can step out in faith into all that God has planned for us. And my final point is that there is a togetherness in the way in which Gideon's army followed God's chosen leadership. As we've already recognised, Gideon's 300 soldiers were each signed, assigned sorry, their place to stand as they were facing an imminent battle. I mean, just think about it a minute. They're facing a battle. They're outnumbered. You can't imagine any of them objecting to which of the three companies they were assigned to, nor to the position that they were assigned to stand. Incomprehensible. You see, they were men under authority. They were submitted to God's chosen leadership. They recognized God's specific calling and anointing on Gideon to lead, which, as we saw last week, is recorded in Judges 6.34. And it's important that we recognize the different anointings from God as well as the different God-given callings and giftings in Redeemer Church. It's important, friends, that the calling and anointing on you to lead us is recognized that we're able to submit to him in a healthy and godly way. To him and the eldership team's God-given authority. It's so important that we're together behind 
the leaders. And mindful of other things that were shared this morning, including words of knowledge. I want to say, friends, you can trust these leaders. They're not demanding or abusive. You heard the heart and apology that he brought this morning. You can trust these leaders. From my experience of many years in church leadership and still traveling around churches, and I get the best bit now, I give them the advice and then I leave. <laughs> they carry it out. But from my experience in church leadership, a person can say they are submitted right behind the leaders, but you only really find out when they're asked to do something that just doesn't sit comfortable with them. For example, and I've been asked to say this, if in the days ahead you were asked for the overall good of Redeemer's mission, whether you'd be willing to lay aside your preference with regard to the position in which you serve, what would your response be? Don't answer all at once. Would you be willing, for example, to be in a life group which is not your first choice to further strengthen another group? I leave those thoughts with you. I hope I would be willing, for I'm mindful in Hebrews 13, 17, we are urged to obey our leaders and submit to their authority. To obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. I never want to be a burden on these elders. I've been there. I've served as an elder. The scripture says, obey them so their work will be a joy and not a burden. Because if you don't, it's of no advantage to you. Why? Because they're clay pots with floors as well. The issue, what I'm digging around at is, am I? Are you? A good follower and happy to serve under God's choice of leaders or do you like to be in charge and do things your way? Now, I'm not contradicting last Sunday's message when he was exhorting us to take initiative. You can take the initiative and responsibility for something and also be a good submitted follower. The late Peter Wagner, missionary and author of some 80 or so Christian books, wrote in one of his books his observation that growing churches not only have good leadership, but the church members are also good followers. In fact, I seem to recall that he might, it might have been him who went as far as to suggest that congregations of successful church, growing churches around the world had the spiritual gift of followership. Now, personally, I'm not sure there's such a spiritual gift, but I do believe that Wagner's observations support the importance of us being together in wholehearted following our God-appointed leaders. In Judges chapter 4, and I begin to wrap up, and thank you for listening so well. In Judges 4, it contains the record of another battle. When God enabled his people to push back the enemy at the time when Deborah was a judge in Israel. And Judges chapter 5 verse 1 tells us that on that day, the day of victory, Deborah and Barak sang a prophetic song which contains lasting truth which is pertinent for us today. A very loose translation of what they sang was, when leaders boldly lead and people willingly follow, then bless the Lord, exclamation mark. It's saying, just look at what can be accomplished when God's leaders courageously lead and when God's people wholeheartedly follow them. The enemy can be overcome 
And God's people can accomplish great things. Some of us used to sing an old song, Through our God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our enemies. We'll sing and shout his victory. Christ is king. Today, I believe the Lord is saying to us to redeem a church that everyone, young and old, is important with a part to play. And that the Holy Spirit is calling us. Can you hear the call? The Holy Spirit's calling us to step out together with God. To step out together in purpose. To step out in confidence in the Lord. To step out together in dependence on God. To step out together in praise of Him. Together in witnessing for Him. Together in vigilance against the enemy. Together standing firm. Firm in the faith. Firm against the enemy. And together, following our leaders. He's calling us to step out together with him. To step out in faith and expectancy that he will do through us in the coming days immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I want to invite you to respond to the call which the Holy Spirit is making at this time by standing, if you feel able to, by standing prophetically and making a fresh surrender to the Lord. And maybe for you, it will be the first time you've surrendered your life to King Jesus and accepted how he died in your place and rose again to give you eternal life. And if today you're doing this for the first time, please make yourself known to myself or Hugh or one of the other elders, to Al or Tom, at the end of the meeting so that we can pray and help you in the life-changing step you are taking today. But for all of us, whether it's the first time or for you, this morning, a fresh surrender, I want to invite you to join me in standing and join with me in a simple refrain which says, I surrender. I hear the call. I give my all. Lord Jesus, I surrender. The words should come up for us. Thank you, Alex, for serving us so much. I surrender. I surrender, I hear the call, I give my all, Lord Jesus, I surrender, Lord Jesus, I surrender, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you.
sing that again or pray it out. I surrender. I surrender. I hear the I give my all, Lord Jesus, I surrender, Lord Jesus, I surrender, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I surrender to you. Lord, I give you 